The Retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Well, hello and welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show EDU edition for this week. Um, on today's show, we are going to continue our discussion of an article we were kind of uh, examining um, from last week's EDU show. Uh, the uh, article name, if you want to look it up yourself, because it is uh, readily available, uh, it's not behind a paywall or anything. It's an article from uh, advisorperspectives.com, uh, and it's entitled How Traditional Retirement Models Cost Clients Millions. Uh, by Rajiv Ribello, uh, published back um, about eight days ago as we record this, so it's pretty recent here. And um, he's an actuary, um, so uh, good with numbers, <laughs> we'll say. Um, and uh, did kind of some analysis, some interesting analysis on um, the impacts, if you will, of certain advisor fees on one's uh, wealth or portfolio values over time, which, you know, there's some intuition or common sense to that. Obviously, if we're extracting fees uh, from from one's own portfolio for anything, it's going to reduce the future value of those accounts. But I think uh, his point was that most people underestimate the impact over time, the the compounding effects, if you will, of those fees. And he gave us some comparisons and and pointed out a few things. So we were walking through that uh, uh, that article uh, last week. Didn't quite finish it, so we're going to finish that up today. I've got Jim joining me from uh, the uh, easternmost recording studio. We have. Um, his mother's spare bedroom, I believe, is what it is. And um, no, 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 no. I'm in Philly. You know that. Oh, you made it over. Oh, that's right. Never mind. So, so now you're in a hotel room. So you're not in the easternmost. You've come. You've come back west a little bit to Philly. I, I am. I am and, slowly uh, moving my way back yeah, west. Okay. I am in Philadelphia. I apologize. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we just talked about your mom and how you gave her your cold, which was not very nice of you. So I that's did. why she I had your not, mom on my mind. 
she was none too happy, folks. Um, I jokingly said, now you have something to remember me by, but she failed to see the humor in that. <laughs> I would, too. <laughs> so uh, he's at uh, a uh, uh, Charles Schwab conference, the, the, the uh, annual conference that they hold. They kind of bop back and forth between the western part of the United States and the eastern part, and this year... Uh, they're back in the eastern part. That's why it's in Philly. Last year, it was actually in Denver, Colorado, right in our own backyard. Um, so uh, the uh, because they're east coast, I will usually take some students from Colorado State University to uh, visit that conference when it's back west. So next year, I'll probably be at the conference with some students with you. I'm assuming you're going to go because you pretty much go every year now. So... Um, but that's where he's at, and he's kind of on the tail end of his cold. So I'll give, I'll let everybody know that I'm going to try to clean up uh, any glitches or coughs, etc., in post production. But if you d- detect something sounds a little strange, a strange transition in his voice, that was probably me cleaning stuff up after the fact. So just to give you a little heads up there. Uh, Jim is fine. He's not having any type of, you know, because sometimes my edits make your voice sound a little abrupt. So I'm just pointing that out to people. It's uh, oh okay. I'll do my best. Well, I will. But... I will try, folks, my hardest. The cold is definitely on the way out. This was the cold from hell. This thing just didn't stop. And when my mom got it, she wanted me to go out and get her some Robitussin. So I went to uh, the Walmart, not far from her house. It's about 15 minutes away. There's a Walmart, and I bought the Robitussin. And I went to the self checkout lane. And it wouldn't let me complete it until someone came over and did an age verification on the, the cough medicine. Mm. And the kid that came over just, you know, pressed his keys in and everything. Uh, and he said to me, he says, you would not believe how many of these I've had to do today. He says, everybody must be getting sick. Yeah. So um, anyways, there's some bug going around. It wasn't COVID. So that was good. I tested myself every single day because I was visiting my dad. And once my cold showed symptoms, I would not go into the nursing home. So my father's wife would take him outside and put him in her car. And then I would put his wheelchair in my car. Uh, My mom has an SUV much bigger than what they have. And we would drive to a restaurant or something and kind of sit there and me away from dad. So I still got to see him, even though I had the cold. I just didn't want to spread this throughout the nursing home, so I thought that was the right thing to do. Yeah, very responsible. But every now and then I may pause, folks, and that's just because I want to cough and clear my throat and not have you guys listen to it. If any sneak through, Chris will try to edit them out. So if I sound all choppy, now you know why. Okay, what I really want to do uh, in the hour that we have to do this show, folks, is to kind of wrap up the, the fee part. But there's a reason I wanted to do this, not just for me to rail against my industry, which any longtime listener to this podcast knows I do not respect my industry. I think it's a sheep wrapped in wolf's clothing at times. Or vice versa. No, it's a sheep in wolf's clothing. Wolf in sheep's clothing. A wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Wow. I have a, you know, I have a head cold. And you're on cough medicine too. So. (laughs) so uh a a wolf in sheep's clothing uh at times probably more times than than uh, i care to to acknowledge and the reason i say that is is the the one percent fee sounds so innocent and i tried to relate last week 
with the Sir Kensington spicy brown mustard, where one gram of sugar sounded so innocent per serving. But if you do the math, you soon realize it was 20% sugar because a serving was five grams, which is about a teaspoon. And Sir Kensington clearly didn't want to market that, so they didn't. Mr. Rabello is saying in his article, if you read it, because he breaks out his anticipated returns of stocks, which I think are too high, his anticipated returns of bonds. But he says and mentions that if the stock returns are 8% and the bond returns are 4%, that 1% fee is taking about 12.5% of your stock returns and 25% of your bond returns. He also points out in the article that most advisors who are also charging this fee are going to start moving your assets more securely for sequence of return risk. And I have no problem with that. Sequence of return risk is important. At our firm and our practice, we prefer to handle it with a strategy we call positioning. Other clients who, uh, excuse me, not clients, but other people who manage retirements with one big portfolio, a 60-40, 70-30, 50-50, whatever your mix of, of stocks and bonds are, and, and survive off of a safe withdrawal rate. Longtime listeners know Chris and I don't do retirement that way. We don't believe in unnecessarily constraining on spending on fun early in retirement. So I came up with what I call the fun number approach to retirement planning. That's not the point of today's discussion. But when you are managing your portfolio for a safe withdrawal rate, it complements the 1% AUM fee perfectly because you have one big portfolio which is easy for the advisor to manage. You're withdrawing a certain amount of money from it. Some advisors will start to peel off some dollars, and I think this is very good. And they put two, three, four years of spending in very low risk, but keep the majority of the portfolio rather large, and they assess their fee on it, whether it's 1% or more or less is immaterial. They're just going to be debiting their fee from it. And it complements the safe withdrawal rate. And I think the two of them benefit the industry more than they benefit consumers. But it's wrapped in this, this wrapper, if you will, this, this, what's a good word instead of wrapper, Chris? Because I said it's wrapped in a wrapper. Yeah, it's, I think it's... Shouldn't use the same word too close together. <laughs> it's cloaked in a wrapper. There you that go. would have been a better way of putting it. See, mm-hmm. I'm learning. It's cloaked in this wrapper of, oh, we are fee only and we're just debiting this innocent fee. And we talk about, um, uh, what's his name? Ken Fisher. And Chris likes to point out Ken's little saying. And I love the way you say it, though, Chris. What is Ken saying well, on that wrapper? Yeah. This, no this surprise. cloak that he has. Yeah. So so they, they attack this head on and actually just fully admit it that uh, uh, using the mantra, when you do better, we do better. Um, what they don't add is when you do better, even if it's for some th- reason that has nothing to do with us, th- that they should admit that because that's the truth. Uh, some of it could be due to them. So let's admit that, you know, something could be, but there's a whole lot of reasons not to do with them that causes you to do better. 
they do better too. They, they just, you know, they're beneficiaries of whatever that is that had nothing to do with them improving your portfolio value uh, as well. So I kind of like to make fun of it and, and say, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't a better option be or a better approach be uh, when you do better, you do better, right? So that, so that when there's factors that have nothing to do with your advisor driving up your portfolio values over time, uh, why does the advisor become a beneficiary of those things? The, the advisor should be the beneficiary through income. You know, they're, they shouldn't work for free. I mean, we're not proposing that. We don't work for free. But it's a matter of, you know, the advisor should get value, uh, you know, be anointed with value themselves when they have given you value. And um, so, you know, we prefer to kind of break things out, be a little more transparent uh, with with uh, what what folks are paying for instead of having it cloaked, as Jim phrased it uh, in this uh, overall one percent fee. Now, I, let's let's acknowledge, which I don't think we admit often enough, that someone charging a one percent uncapped fee, if they are providing you with enough services overall, enough value, enough true value to justify that fee, then there's nothing inherently wrong with doing it that way. The problem is the vast majority of advisors charging that uncapped fee do not do that. They do not provide the type of value that someone should expect for the dollars they're paying in that fee. I mean, just think about it for a minute. I mean, if you've got three million dollars, just to pull a number out of you know out of the air, one percent of that is thirty thousand dollars a year, each and every year. Ask yourself, what is your advisor doing for you that creates enough value for you to be worth thirty thousand dollars a year? Right. That's that's funding half of a you know half of the yearly wages for a person, right? You know, so I mean, making 30, you know, obviously there's not many people that only make 30,000 a year, but there's a lot of people that make $60,000 a year. You're paying half of that every single year to, to, you know, have the advisor do their thing. And some do have a whole list of things they provide to you. I'll, I'll admit that there's some, but most are primarily just doing asset management for you, providing a little bit of advice on the side usually with the help of software that does 90% of the work for them and just live in large as your portfolio gets larger and larger. And then at the end of life, when you should be drawing it down to enjoy the fruits of your labor, they actually have a very obvious conflict in that they don't want your portfolio value to drop because that comes right out of their own pocket, that, that annual fee that they collect. So, um, you know, those are some of the things that we just, while it's possible for an uncapped 1% AUM advisor to provide enough value to justify the fee, it is very much the exception and not the rule in our industry. And that's why we have, you know, that's why we talk about things the way we do on, on, you know, on days like this. Yeah. And I'm glad you, you mentioned that because we, feel there are some advisors who probably justify their fee. Mm -hmm. I would assume they exist. What bothers me of the industry folks is they never, I can't say never, there may be some out there providing an itemized bill. And I said this last week, I'll say it this week and 
I'll say it into the future until I'm no longer doing a podcast. If you have an AUM advisor, ask them in dollars every year, how much did you pay them in dollars? It's on your statements if you look at your brokerage statements, but a lot of people don't. Now, I know people listening to this podcast are aghast at me saying that. Really? There's people who don't look at their brokerage statements? I would say 75% of people don't look at their brokerage statements. I would say 95% of our podcast listeners look at their brokerage statements. But I'm talking the 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 uh, community in general, the whole population in general, they don't look at their brokerage statements. They have no clue what they're paying their advisors. And honestly, even people who do take this seriously often say to us, I don't really know what I'm paying them. And they don't. It's hard to figure out. So I often say, if you have one of these advisors, Chris is right, they could very well be justifying their fee. Make them justify their fee. Just ask them once a year, let's sit down and review the fee with me. What did I pay you in dollars? And then can you itemize it? And also for the people who say we do better when you do better, like Ken Fisher, I would propose this. Ask them to please be benchmarking your portfolio to a reasonable benchmark. And you're going to have to work closely with them to make sure they choose an accurate and reasonable and independent benchmark. Not one that they create themselves and say, yeah, measure us to this benchmark that we made. No, 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 no. The two of you should agree to a reasonable benchmark that reflects the risk that you are asking them to achieve. Because when it all comes down to it, what you are really going to ask that advisor to do for you is to manage your money based on your risk tolerance. Yes, they're going to get your suitability. They're going to sit and talk to you uh, about your needs and your wants. That, that makes perfect sense. But it's all going to come down to your acceptance of a certain amount of risk. And it usually falls between conservative, moderately conservative, moderate, moderately aggressive, or aggressive. You're going to fall somewhere in that realm. So if you agree with your advisor that you want to be moderate, for instance, which industry-wide is a 60-40 portfolio, although some will argue it's a 50-50 portfolio, you and your advisor would need to come up with whatever your your agreement is on what that uh, measure would be. Once you agree that that is going to be your risk tolerance, they should be benchmarking you to a independent benchmark, which for this purpose is just a measure. So you can track the performance of your portfolio net of their fee against the performance of the benchmark. Then in our industry, there's a thing called advisor alpha or just alpha in general. And that essentially is for the same amount of risk, how much return or additional return beyond the benchmark is your advisor providing. That's what Chris was getting at. The argument is a lot of the return of your portfolio has nothing to do with your advisor. It has to do with everything else going on in the markets, in the global economy. And that is beyond advisor's control. So 
everybody knows stocks go up most times in any given day. No, but long term stocks predominantly are moving up because the global economy is still expanding worldwide. So alpha is a way of measuring the performance of a money manager. I feel Ken Fisher, Chris, should and all those who say we do better when you do better should subtract out the return that has nothing to do with them and just get paid on the alpha. Now, that will never hold water. No. Trust me. And people can probably poke 101 holes in, in what I just said as being not fair for this reason or that reason and speak in very academic language with huge words and make me seem foolish. And that's going to be easy to do because anyone can do that. No, because the academic side, to, to your defense, shows that once fees are factored in, that um, it's extremely difficult for advisors to provide true portfolio alpha. Now, you mentioned advisor alpha, and there is a they're trying to draw the industry's trying to draw a distinction there in that what else is the advisor doing that isn't directly the academic alpha that we identify in portfolio performance. Things like, you know, keeping you from making stupid decisions, uh, providing additional services uh, that you wouldn't otherwise get if you weren't engaged with them. You know, there's other things that could improve your life overall that may not be a direct measure of portfolio value that they're arguing. And the reason why they're going down that path is they've realized the academics are correct when they do their research and find most advisors over time don't generate enough alpha, even those that do generate alpha. True portfolio alpha don't generate enough of it over time to overcome fees. That's just the truth of it. That's just what it is. Um, now, people will point out, oh, no, so-and-so has done it. So-and-so has done it over the last 10 or 12 years. Well, yeah, you're always going to find people who were, and brace yourself for this word, lucky that actually did it. The problem is we can't identify who those people are going to be ahead of time so you can choose them as your advisor. That's the challenge. We only see those lucky people until after it's happened. And after it happened, it turns out that there's no guarantee they're going to continue to be lucky. So there's no information that we can gain to identify, oh, this person has these characteristics, so they're going to be one of the lucky ones who does generate alpha in their portfolios over the next 10 or 15 years. If we could identify those people, we'd all want to hire them. I would, but we can't. That's the challenge. That's the challenge. And and no, it's not ever going to happen the way Jim described, where uh, advisors will be paid on their true alpha because they won't be able to ever collect much money. The whole industry would collapse because people wouldn't um, you know, be paying much of anything. And there's a whole bunch of advisors that wouldn't collect a dime because they'd never generate alpha. The alpha they would generate would be negative. And you're not going to pay for negative alpha, you know, if, if we're going to model it like that. But I joke with my students all the time that as they graduate, and this is kind of cynical of me, but it's the truth. It turns out in money management, you don't actually have to generate alpha to make money and be successful managing money in, in, in the world today. You just have to have people believe you can. And it's those believers that will hand over their money and fees and pay you. And that's just the nature of things. That's just the way it is. So, um, you know, I have to say that to people because when I show students the academic research that most advisors can't actually generate alpha for any length of time. And uh, when, when they factor in the fee that they're charging to do the research and their, their pay and all that kind of stuff, 
that uh, they become discouraged and don't want to go out and be financial advisors or, or investment managers. Um, you know, they're most of these kids I'm talking about aren't necessarily going to be planners, financial planners. They're going to be investment advisors, financial analysts, etc. Well, you don't have to, like I said, you don't actually have to generate alpha to be a successful financial analyst. You just have to have people believe that you can. So, like I said, it's kind of cynical, but it's the way things work right now. Interesting, interesting the way you word that. Now, a lot of our listeners right now are probably wondering why we we chatting to you guys about this. Well, we don't believe in, as we said, for a variety of reasons, the safe withdrawal rate approach to retirement planning. But not too long ago, before I even read Mr. Rebello's article, the I was speaking, and I was on one of my tangents, if you remember, Chris. And I said, on a 4%, uh, and I recently read that Bill Benjamin has come out and raised it to now 4.7. Um, but I have no idea why. I, I Have you followed that, that he was interviewed recently? and he's. I haven't seen it. the recent interview, but he's been okay. he's been modifying his opinion over time, several times since the original research he did. Which just again made me scratch my head and laugh because I keep reading articles 4.7, 4, uh, 2.8 or 2.7 I think Harvard came out with once, Morningstock came out with 3.2. I mean all these people are coming out with different rates so to me the safe withdrawal rate is whatever you think it is. <laughs> I don't know what it is anymore or, or what the industry is proposing that it is. But my point is this. I asked rhetorically on one of the podcasts, where does the advisor fee fit into their Monte Carlo projections when they're telling you that you have a 70, 80, 90, 95% chance of success on their Monte Carlo? And we used 4% as, and I think, in the conversation as what they were withdrawing. I said, where are they putting that fee? Are they telling you if you have a million dollars, you can live on 40000 but I'm going to take 10 of it. Here's your 30. I don't think they're having that conversation with their client because their client's going to sit there saying, excuse me? Yeah. Because now it's actual dollars. Right. You're going to take 25% of my withdrawal every year because that's yeah, what's exactly. happening <laughs> you're going to take a quarter of my safe withdrawal rate yeah. that's what pisses me off folks about this if you haven't figured it out yet that's the it's the sir kensington mustard it's a one percent fee but they are taking a massive amount of your safe withdrawal rate Mr. Rabello looked at it as of the return of stocks and bonds, and they're taking a 25 to a bonds and 12 and a half of stocks using his assumed rates of return. I don't look at it that way. I look at it as what have they taken from your safe withdrawal rate? And they're taking a hell of a lot of your annual spending. For what? Now, as Chris rightly pointed out, many of them are justifying that fee with amazing services. Great. Hopefully, they're providing you an itemized billing of those services and how much you are paying for each one. If not, ask them for it. 
You may feel your fee is justified and you're getting value. Just make sure they're itemizing so you truly do know if there's value there. But what I do like about what Mr. Rabello did in his article is he looked at that very thing I was questioning. He still didn't break it down as a percentage of your safe withdrawal rate, but he did say, let's look at a situation so people will understand what this is doing to people's retirements. He really feels the fees that the industry is sucking out of retirees is costing retirees safety. And in my opinion, spending, spending on fun. Because I told you, stop looking at your portfolio as an asset and start looking at it as deferred spending. Because I have said repeatedly, someone's going to spend your money. It's either going to be you, your beneficiaries, or your uncle. Well, I think we have to add a third one to it. Your investment advisor, if they're taking 1% of your safe withdrawal rate every year, they're going to be spending it. Trust me. Look at the house they live in and the car they drive probably. And I'm not bemoaning them making money. I'm not bemoaning me making money. We don't work for free. We're, we're not this, this pro bono altruistic Two financial planners living like paupers. We do charge, but at least we cap our fee. We tell you what we're going to charge. We tell you what we're going to do. And we make no more money merely because you want to consolidate your assets for simplicity's sake, or the markets are doing what markets usually do, which is rise. And there are many advisors like this. This isn't a shout out to us. Longtime listeners know we had been paused for a long time for taking on clients. This isn't about that at all. I'm just trying to get everyone here to understand this. Here's what Mr. Rabello found. So he laid out a case. You might feel his scenario might be a little off. That's not the point. Just follow his numbers. It's the 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 it's not so much the example he drew up, it's the findings. That's what we always say. When I used to deliver financial plans, I don't anymore. I used to always tell people everything we're about to show you is wrong because we cannot predict the future. But what we are looking at are the trends. I can all but guarantee you our projection of what you're going to be spending on electricity in 32 years is wrong. But the trends are accurate of where your electricity is today and where it will be tomorrow. So we're looking at the trends. So maybe his model or his scenario doesn't match everyone, but gain from the trend that he's trying to show. So he says, let's just say we have a couple who's 55 and they're going to live to 95, so another 40 years. They have 2.8 million of assets. I smiled on that one, Chris. Remember, I don't know, maybe it was six months ago, I was randomly, we were, we were chatting, and we, we came up with a scenario, and we oh. said, let's just say they have 2.8 yeah, million. True. I, I can't remember what that was about. might have been the fun number discussion. Yeah, I don't I think know. so. Just, just totally random. It was something that was come up with spur of the moment. And I'm sure Mr. Rebello just randomly chose 2.8 million. He said, let's say they have 2.8 million of assets and they live in California 
and they have $200,000 a year of annual expenses and they plan on needing $200,000 of a year in retirement marked for inflation. Fairly representative of many of our listeners, I'm sure, not necessarily living in California, but what this couple is going to do. Now, he didn't break out the 200000 into minimum dignity floor, into fund spending. He didn't talk about adding secure income, pension, Social Security, and anything like that. He's just doing an analysis on fees. So he said he put all this into his software. He didn't say what software program he's using. And if you if you download the article, I need not mention it here on the podcast. He breaks the people down a little bit more, tells what the portfolios mean is going to be, how much is dividends, what's the standard deviation. Same thing on the bonds and the bond standard deviation. Uh, how often do they rebalance? Things like that. But he starts with no advisory fee. And he said if the clients had or the people had 100% of their money in equities, he doesn't break down what he used, at least in this part of his article, uh, what the the measure for equities were. But he said 100% equities, according to his Monte Carlo, they had an 82% chance of retirement success and that they could pass away with $16 million in assets. Now that <clears throat> raised my eyebrows a few times because people aren't going to hold 100% equities for the most part. And to me, dying as the richest man in the graveyard uh, isn't a goal of mine. Many people, it might be that they want to leave their wealth. They're going to unnecessarily constrain living their life so they can leave 16 million to someone else. And that's fine if that's what you want to do. What I'm getting at, folks, is you might be sitting there saying, well, no one's really going to do that. Keep 100% equities. Nobody's going to sit on $16 million and not enjoy themselves. Chris and I get that, and Mr. Rebello gets that. He's just trying to show you the trends. That's all. Don't overanalyze his scenario. So then he breaks it down as, well, what if they had 70, 30, 70% equity, 30% bonds? He said their chance of success drops from 82 just to 80. And the wealth left over at death drops from 16 to 8 million. And then he said in a 60-40 portfolio, the chance of success drops to 77% and the wealth at death drops to 6 million. So he was just trying to show a few things there. One thing I want to point out with Monte Carlo and the probability of success, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to outlive your money. You have a 77% chance of not outliving it in a 60-40, but a 27% chance you're going to die broke. What it means is that you have a 77% chance of not having to make major changes and decisions in your spending in the 60-40 portfolio. Most people are not going to spend themselves to oblivion. And I will defend Monte Carlo to the naysayers who point out nobody is going to ride their portfolio to zero, which is what Monte Carlo is projecting. Monte Carlo proponents will say, true, 
But what we are trying to show our clients is what is your chances of not having to make fundamental, major, fundamental spending changes to your retirement. That's what they're trying to show in Monte Carlo. But I agree with Monte Carlo proponents here for that one thing. They're not saying clients will purposefully ride their portfolio to zero, knowing, okay, two more years, we're going to run out of money, but so be it. That's not what people will do. You will make fundamental changes. But to Chris and I and to Monte Carlo proponents, I'm sure as well, and naysayers as well, that is, quote unquote, failure if you can't live the retirement that you've worked your whole life to try to amass. And if you have to make major changes, one of the reasons we believe, I'm going down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, I apologize, but one of the reasons Chris and I believe in covering your minimum dignity floor of food, utilities, transportation, housing, and healthcare expenses with lifetime guaranteed income is you don't want to have to cut those later. Anything you want to add to anything I said, Chris? No, I think that's a good setup for, because I know where you're going because I've glanced through the article. So no, that uh, I think that's good so far. I think pretty easy to follow. Okay. So what he then did is he lays out his case in his article of how much the fees are now taking as a percentage of the stock returns, a percentage of the bond returns. And he went back to his software and added the 1% fee in now to the Monte Carlo. And here's what happens. The 100% equities that had an 82% chance of success with, again, Success being, folks, that you don't have to make major alterations to your spending. And a $16 million uh, leftover portfolio. That I know you know what it is, so I can't ask you, which is too bad. But folks, before I give the answer, think. Just start thinking now. Think in your head how much that 1% fee. Remember, these people are only 55 and it's being projected for 40 years. So now you can see the compounding of that 1% fee, which is what he was trying to point out, that this 1% fee is costing many retirees millions of dollars. Start guessing, folks. I'll give you two more seconds to guess what you think the Monte Carlo probability success is. I'm going to let Chris be the, the giver of the answer here. Do you, did you have the article open in front of you? Oh. Um, well, let me scroll down to that. that part of it. Yeah, no, I've got, uh, <laughs> I know where you're headed. I just need to find it. Yep. I've got it right here. Okay, perfect. So get that, mm-hmm. that chart kind yep. of in the middle of the, the, the article. So again, 82% chance of success. Now we put in the 1% fee and what does it drop to Chris? The 82% chance drops to 68%. With the uh, average account balance at ninety five after tax wealth being six point seven million instead of sixteen point seven million, ten million dollar difference. Now that is for you know forty years in the future. So you know put that in perspective. Ten million in forty years is different than ten million today. But as a person, you know it's it's dropped it uh, more than fifty percent in the projected account balance at the end. 
And that 82% success rate from the Monte Carlo that a lot of people like to crow about has become 68%, not because of any other variable changes, simply due to the introduction of that 1% advisory fee as a, as a drain on that portfolio each and every year for that 40 years. Exactly. Now the 70-30. 70-30 folks had an 80% chance of success with an ending balance of 8 million. Again, this was a couple starting at 55 with $2.8 million living for 40 years, spending $200,000 a year adjusted for inflation. You can read his article to see all the other assumptions he made. Again, you can attack his assumptions. You can attack the $2.8 million. You can attack the $200,000 spending. What he's trying to convey is just what the trends are showing, what is, he's trying to get you to understand there is a cost. This 1% sounds so innocuous. It sounds so innocent. It is the one gram of sugar in Sir Kensington's mustard, but you are sucking down 20% sugar when you are eating it. That's what this is trying to show. So the 80% chance of success with an $8 million ending balance, you guys can start thinking in your head what that dropped to. Chris? That drops to 59% chance of success with a projected ending balance on average of $1.8 million. So that 8.3 drops to $1.8 million, which sounds like a lot of money, right? $1.8 million still being left over. But if we assume, say, 3% inflation over 40 years, that's the equivalent today of only $550,000. And so it wouldn't, you know, your your account is getting precariously low at at that point, um, some forty years from now. Uh, big difference, big difference. The five fifty today versus the eight point three million, which was without the advisory fee in his modeling, that was two and a half million. So there's a big difference between five hundred thousand and two point five million as an ending estimated average balance here. So. Um, that's the compounding effect, right? That 1% sounds innocent, but compounded regularly every year over that 40 years, just like your, the, the positive returns you might experience in your portfolio, you successful savers that have saved for a very long time have likely experienced the benefits of compounding, um, being in it, dedicated, saving, leave it alone, just let it ride, let it ride. Compounding is your friend. Um, here, when it's a drain on your portfolio, compounding is your enemy. And you can see it very clearly how it's essentially been a leech on, on the portfolio value over that many years. And then in his final example, he goes to the 60-40 portfolio, mm -hmm. which is the more common moderate portfolio right. that most retirees have. Remember, under his original Monte Carlo projection, it was a 77% chance of success. Again, I want to reiterate, I know I repeat myself, but... Don't feel that that means 27, 23%. Did I do the math right in my yep. head? Yeah, 23% uh, of people are going to die a pauper. It just means 23% of people may have to make, uh, or you have a 23% chance that you may have to make some life-altering changes. This, again, is why I believe so passionately in secure income covering minimum dignity floor. Okay, just had to say that little blurb again, Chris. So 77% chance of success, $6 million ending balance. 
Again, as Chris rightly pointed out, this is 40 years from now. That $6 million is probably worth a couple of hundred thousand dollars in today's dollars. Isn't that scary? This is going to be like Zimbabwe in another 40 years. We're going to go buy a, a six-pack of wow. beer for Let's not get out of no. dollars It's, it's huh? still it's $1.8 million with 3% inflation over 40 years. So let's not get carried away. Oh, <laughs> Okay. It's not Zimbabwe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. It could be Zimbabwe. True. I mean, my 3% could be way off. So, Okay. Why don't you say, you guys can think in your heads, what does the 77% drop to and what does the $6 million drop to? This one surprised the hell out of me on the ending balance, Chris. Mm-hmm. I will say that. Yeah. So on the 60-40, which you pointed out is a very common portfolio asset allocation for retirees. There's tons of advisors out there that put people in a 60-40 portfolio to write out retirement. So that 77% success rate without the advisor fee becomes 53%. So there's almost basically a 50-50 shot that you're going to have to alter your plans. And the projected ending balance, $490,000 is all. 40 years from now, which is only worth with, you know, 3% inflation assumed, only worth $150,000 in today's terms, you're darn near zero at that point. On average, not worst case, on average, the account balance, because that's what that projected ending balance is in the Monte Carlo. That's the average balance uh, at the end out from all the Monte Carlo uh, results. Um I mean, that's severe, right? 77 to 53 is a drastic reduction. A lot of people go into retirement with a 77, 80, 85%, somewhere around 80% success rate projected and are perfectly comfortable with that. 53% is a whole different story. Saying you've got, you know, your plan, we've got a 50% chance essentially that we're going to have to make significant alterations if things don't go well. That's a coin flip. Right, that that it doesn't make people feel real comfortable with the plan that they're you know heading off into retirement with. So that that number, the the degree of reduction there uh, due to that introduction of the one percent advisory fee was um, surprising. Now I will say, I think he chose forty years on purpose because it makes his point. So to to kind of play devil's advocate a little bit. A more typical retirement length is considered to be 30-ish years, not 40. And we all know that with 30 years of compounding versus 40 years, those last 10 years are amazingly impactful with all the compounding. And so I think he used 40 years on purpose to make his point. But the point would still be there. It would still be significant even with a 30-year retirement projected. Right. And that's what I'm trying to avoid here, picking on his assumption. Mm -hmm. He had to do a model to show people Mm -hmm. there is a cost to this. And it's why I use the Sir Kensington's example. One percent sounds innocent, but there is a cost to it. One gram of sugar sounds innocent. But there was a cost to that, which was 20 percent of the mustard was sugar. That's what he's trying to convey. There is a cost. So why are Chris and I doing this? Where am I trying to go with this? We are retirement planners. Our whole business focus is on helping people retire. 
we believe passionately in enjoying the last phase of your life and not unnecessarily constraining spending on fun. But we also believe passionately that the younger you must give an explicit promise to the older you because you try being, I, I was just with my dad at 89, who must be in a wheelchair now to move any long distance. He has congenitive heart failure. They cannot operate on him because of his age and the, the condition of his heart from what his doctors have said. So if he walks a lot, he gets very winded. He needs people to help take care of him. I have seen that man when he was younger. If you get my newsletter in this month's newsletter, I was going, I was on my way to, to visit dad folks and mom and dad had been divorced for a very, very long time. Mom and my sister just randomly bought a house in a place called Rochester or land and built a house together. And when I was going to visit my dad in the next city over called Fall River, I was going the back roads because I enjoy it. And it wasn't dawning on me as Google was taking me the back roads where I was driving. And as I was driving down a road, I started thinking to myself, this looks familiar. This looks familiar. And all of a sudden, I came around a bend and there was Snippetuit Pond in Rochester where my dad used to take me fishing as a 10-year-old boy all the time. And the same white house that I used to stare at as a 10-year-old boy across the pond was there. I turned the car around. I parked. I got out. I had a tear in my eye. It just brought back all these memories of my dad, this, this strong man helping me fish and putting the bait on my hook. And I would cast out into Snip to it Pond and catch a little sunfish and be all excited or a little perch. And here I was 50 years later. If someone would have told me as that 10-year-old boy, your parents will be divorced. Your mother's going to live less than five miles down the road from Snip to it Pond. And you are going to be driving by as a 60-year-old man out visiting your father to take him out to eat in a wheelchair. I would have never believed that. But that is what happens to us. And it hit home with me. It was a hell of a lot easier being a retirement planner when I was 40. It's a huge difference at 60. After suffering a stroke that nearly killed me and now dealing with parents who are aged. But it has reinforced my passionate belief that this is the only life we're going to have, and I will be my dad at some point. Although, I'm only going to live to 87, I jokingly say, because I made a promise to whatever entity it was that helped save myself during my stroke. I told you this, Chris, that if I could just get the energy to drag myself out of the barn and bang on that metal trailer, I will live 30 more years. Why I didn't say 40 is beyond me. <laughs> But I said 30. So I was 57 at the time. I'm out of here at 87, apparently. But my point is, all of this came home, no pun intended, 
on my last visit. And I took a picture, snipped to it pond, and it's in my newsletter. And you can see that White House across the pond that I used to stare at as a 10-year-old boy 50 years ago. And how life has changed. And how just a few years ago, my dad was still driving himself in his early 80s. He's 89 now. Now look at where he is. Life changes quickly. Where, what, what, what does all this mean? It means at some point in time, we're all going to need help. And you're not going to be able to do everything on your own. It means if you believe in the safe withdrawal rate and you want to manage your retirement under the safe withdrawal rate, great. But do recognize life changes. And at some point in time, even though my dad made it to 89 before going into the nursing home, it could have very easily happened earlier. Your remaining fun years are limited. Safe withdrawal rate limits your spending on fun. Also, what we are advocates of is trying to identify the spending, not the buckets, the spending, and figure out in today's dollars what's left for fun, and then make a conscious effort to try to enjoy that earlier in retirement rather than later. But at some point, and Chris, I believe you'll agree, I think everyone is going to need help. Not just help physically like my dad now needs, and my mom doesn't. My mom's 84. She still lives independently. But she shared with me when I was home that she is so reliant on my sister. And my sister and mom live together, not in the same house. They built a house next to each other, and it's connected with a garage. So my mother has her own place. My sister has her own place, and the garage separates them. But just knowing that my sister is there makes her feel so much better. And she shared with me, if that wasn't the case, she doesn't know if she would still be living independently. She would be looking at things differently. She's deathly afraid of falling. She says there's things that she used to do around the house she can't, and she has to rely on Jean to help her with. This happens to all of us. So it's not only that at some point you're going to need that kind of help. You're going to need help with your finances. You're going to need a firm at some point in your lives. I know you all do it yourselfers. We're just trying to point out to you when that time comes, ask tough. And I know you guys will. You're all Vanguard VG engineer types. Ask damn hard questions. Negotiate your fee. Demand a cap or a flat fee. Don't pay an uncapped AUM fee. Make them benchmark. Well, it's so hard in a distribution portfolio to benchmark. In an accumulation portfolio, it's a lot easier to, 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 to benchmark. And in an accumulation portfolio, my, my assumption that you should only be paying on the alpha and not the growth that had nothing to do with the portfolio holds true. But in a distribution portfolio, because you really, at least the way we manage money, we're not tracking a stated benchmark. It's hard to measure their performance. But don't hesitate to 
ask. Cap your fee. Give me a flat fee. I don't want to pay an uncapped AUM fee. Look for an advisor that will do that. Ask them to lay out every service they're going to provide for you. And as a percentage of their fee or as a dollar amount of their fee, what is it going to give me? What You said you're going to do tax planning, you're going to do tax preparation, and you're going to do my investments. Or you're going to do my investments and retirement planning, whatever. Have them break it out. How much of this is going to investments and what are you doing for it? How much of this is going to my financial planning and what do I get to expect from that from you every year? Don't be afraid to do that. I think this is the only industry and the only fee people willingly pay without an itemized bill. Yeah, and I think that's the danger when uh, you have a good point that people are going to need help and sometimes they get help from family and that you know, that's generally a good price. <laughs> um, uh, but a lot of people don't have a family member who's willing or, or capable of providing um, good financial uh, advice, advice and oversight. And so they end up with professionals. And historically, they've been, had no choice but to be sucked into one of these uncapped 1% situations. And oftentimes, your uh, the, the time that you have the need is when your portfolio is at its maximum value. Uh, so you're very enticing for these, uh, you know, uncapped 1% AUM shops to try to attract because you're bringing them a lot of revenue every single year. So the good news is the industry is starting to turn and picking up a little steam in, uh, you know, fee for service style, capped fees, etc. that you don't have to, you can get the benefits of the professional help, but not have to be sucked into the uncapped universe uh on those fees and and so i guess you know today's show i think it's two pieces it's pointing out the true impacts of that uncapped one percent fee um through through research from this actuary that wrote the article but then kind of tying it into you know don't get don't feel like you have to do that when the time comes that you need the help because there are places there are more and more advisors that are that are offering services that are uh, not priced or, or you know, the, the fee structure itself. There's lots of different fee models out there. The fee structure isn't that historic 1% uncapped fee, which is so impactful negatively on your, on your uh, overall portfolio over time. So it's, um, again, if you, if you find somebody who's giving you a laundry list of services that are very valuable and they happen to charge 1% and you do the math and you're like, oh yeah, for, for the, you know, $20,000 a year, 30,000, whatever number it is I'm paying in fees and dollars, what they're giving me is well worth that. Then maybe no, no problem there. But, um, that's going to be, have to be a judgment that you make and, and, uh, um, starting to identify who those folks are that you want to work with before you need the help is important. Even if you don't engage with them because you are a do-it-yourselfer. We have so many do-it-yourselfers out there that listen to the podcast that, uh, you know, right now everything might be fine and you're still in, maybe even enjoying it almost like a hobby managing your own finances. Don't think that that will be the case forever and prepare for that. Have a plan have a plan for that and identify, interview, talk to people who might be able to provide the services that you anticipate you might need and find those who are willing to do it without overcharging for those services. 
okay, I think we beat this horse to death, but I think we laid out what we're just trying to get you to understand. And I do want to give a little shout out to young advisors. I know we get young advisors listening to us. If you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, this industry is going to change dramatically. Every industry, every professional industry will be be changing dramatically, not just ours. The medical industry, the legal industry, everything because of AI. Don't feel you need to tow the industry line. I question the industry from day one. That's why I don't believe in the safe withdrawal rate Monte Carlo approach to retirement planning. It never made sense to me. If I was in my 40s, I would, I would love it. Not because I was 20 years young, and that would be great. But because I have a vision for where I want this firm to go and where I want the industry to go. And I'm on my way out. I'm 60. I'm not going to be doing this for another 20, 30 years. Younger generations are. And you should be looking at what Chris and I are trying to share. People will pay you for your service if you are good. You don't have to hide an unreasonable fee in what is called layering. Google, if you don't understand what layering is, but it's separating you from your money. It's those subscription fees that happen automatically. That's called layering. It is when they pull the fees out of a portfolio and the person isn't writing the check. It's the same reason the federal government pulls their taxes out of your pay stub and you don't write them the check. If you had to write them the check, there would have been a tax revolt in this country decades ago. Don't just get sucked into that. That's what all the old-time firms are doing. They have billions of assets. They're making tens of millions of dollars of income, and their owners are fat and happy. And they're not going to be here in 20 or 30 years having to deal with what the future is coming. They're just making a boatload of cash right now. You are what's going to be left. People are going to smarten up to this. And they're going to say a computer can do this a hell of a lot cheaper than me paying this guy 20, 30, 40 grand a year. And you're going to be out of job. But people are going to be wanting to work with people, not necessarily computers. And I am here to tell you, you can have a successful business by charging fees. We charge separately for retirement planning, and we do not mandate our clients have us manage their assets, and we make good living off of that. And when we manage assets for people, we call it a convenience service, because that's all it is. We are doing something for them that they could do themselves a hell of a lot cheaper, but they are willing to pay a fair price for, so they don't have to do it. And they can rest comfortably at night knowing I can enjoy my retirement. We have a competent firm looking out for this. They're not raking me over the coals. And I'm comfortable with what I'm paying them. They disclose to me in dollars, not a percent, in dollars what I'm paying. My point is, young advisors, this works. And you should start considering it. Because if you stay with this 1% AUM 
AI is going to eat your lunch in another decade or two. And maybe two decades is too much. But at some point in time, AI is going to eat your lunch. And the big players, the Amazons, the Apples, the Microsofts, they'll get involved in this. And they will take your clients. Keep that in mind. But I do feel confident and sure that humans will want to work with humans and have no problem being treated fairly and paying a fair price. And asset management is the easy part of retirement planning. That's why the AUM model works in accumulation. And that's the first part that's going to drop. That's the first shoe that's going to fall. That's the low-hanging fruit for AI. The distribution planning is a lot more involved, and you have to form human relationships with your clients. You have to be monitoring their tax preparation, their tax planning. You have to be looking at their insurance needs, not just life insurance or annuities, but looking at all their insurance needs, understanding how Medicare is going to work, understanding their property and casualty insurance, making sure their estate plan is up to date, their beneficiaries, making sure the estate attorney is continually monitoring what they're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be the advocate for your clients in retirement. You're not supposed to just be treating them as as a cash flow stream. Oh, here's a 75-year-old retired couple just brought over $2 million to me. I got them in a 60-40 portfolio. I'm taking my 1%. This is great. I'll meet with them once a year and I'll give them an e-money report. That's not retirement planning. Now, I'm talking here to, to advisors, young advisors, older advisors. If you're on your way out, you can ride it out. I'm trying to talk to the new generations here. I've been doing this for 25 years. I know what the hell it is I'm talking about. And this industry, 10, 15, 20 years from now, is going to look nothing like it did before. This, this model made Ken Fisher, I don't know if he's a billionaire, but he's probably pretty damn close. It is not going to continue into the future because AI is going to eat its lunch. But AI is not going to be able to form that human bond and be able to work with clients and pull all of their life together and talk to them as humans. You will use AI in your practice, but clients will form the relationship with you. That's all I want to share. A little bit of, what do you call that, prog- prog- prognostication? So I, I screwed that word yeah, up. What the hell is it? Maybe kind of, a, we're, we're trying to mentor them a little bit, those out there mentor. that are okay. listening that might be attracted to some of the stuff we talk about. Um, Okay. So yeah, Anyways. I think I think thirty and forty year old planners have got a lot of positive future to to look into because there's in a state of change that gives you the freedom to kind of change things the way that work for you. In other words, it kind of because everything's going to be changing whether people like it or not. It gives you the opportunity to do something different and not be seen as 
the oddball or something wrong with you because you're the only one doing it. Everyone's going to be doing it. They'll just be the ones who are willing to do it and embrace the change. And there'll be ones that resist the change, but they won't be able to resist it forever. This is a, you know, these are fundamental changes coming to our industry over time and it's already begun and it's only going to pick up speed moving forward. So we want to thank everybody for listening and, uh, uh, not sure what the topic is for next week. We finished up this article, but uh, we'll have a Q&A show for you later this week. We've gotten our schedules in sync, even though Jim's traveling, to be able to uh, have Jim on the Q&A show uh, that'll be released in a few days as well. If uh, you have any suggestions, recommendations for a future EDU show, uh, feel free to reach out. We always solicit uh, questions for the Q&A show, but... Um, we oftentimes get really good ideas for EDU shows from listeners as well. So if you want to send any, either a question for the Q and a or a suggestion for an EDU show, just send those, uh, directly via email to Jim and his email address is Jim at Jim helps.com. That's Jim H E L P S.com. And, uh, put in the subject line that it's a suggestion or a question for the podcast and, uh, that'll catch his attention. We'll, we'll consider it. So, you keep healing up. Good luck uh, extracting all the possible knowledge you can from the, the Schwab conference uh, that you're at. I look forward to hearing uh, what you find out there. And um, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm not attending many educational mm-hmm. sessions. I'm attending a lot of business right. sessions. So I won't have much to share with our listeners, but hopefully I'll have stuff to share with you. Perfect. Well, thanks a lot. We'll be back next week with everybody with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor.